So <clears throat> today is the day of the uh, recitation of Patimokha. One pra in Thai, or we say monk day, bhikkhu day. So it's a day to contemplate what it is to be a bhikkhu in the Buddhist dispensation in the Dhamma Vinaya. What the purpose of the monk's life is and how to lead it. In one way they refer to The Sangha or community of monks is as a field of merit. Meaning that those bhikkhus practicing Dhamma Vinaya correctly become a field of merit for the laity who support them with material requisites. <coughs> the dana that the laity bring forth you know, benefits the bhikkhu sangha, giving them the means by which to live and practice for the end of suffering. And the good karma generated through these offerings are like seeds planted in a field that is fertile and will come forth to bring fruit for the one giving. To become a field of merit, the Sangha has to be practicing in a way that is worthy and we have supatipano, practicing well in a good way. Ujupatipano, practicing directly or straight, not crooked, not bent. Practicing insightfully, Nyaya Patipano, practicing with insight, with understanding, into the path, what is the path, knowing what is the path, what is not the path, leading to the end of suffering. Samiji Patipano, practicing with integrity or in an appropriate way for a bhikkhu, for a samana and all that entails. These are reflections <coughs> when we reflect on the qualities, the virtues of Sangha, Sangha Anusati. So this is a meditation in itself. We can reflect on or recollect individuals who embody these qualities, such as Ajahn Chah, 
we can recollect the Buddha and the monks in the time of the Buddha. Or we can recollect in a more abstract way just these virtues, qualities, and use that as a way to motivate us, bring us understanding and bring up faith and energy in the practice and even bring the mind to a state of concentrated peace, one-pointedness through recollecting the qualities of the Sangha. Ajahn Chah encouraged us to reflect on this often, <coughs> to remind ourselves exactly what we're doing here, why we're here, what's the purpose of the practice, and how to practice properly and well. He'd use other terms as well. They always talk about how Bhikkhu is developing the quality of Maknoi um, Sandot. Fewness of wishes, composed, uh, restrained in the use of requisites, modest in the use of requisites. Being one who is easy to look after, not a burden for the lay community or the other members of the Sangha. These are reflections for us to use on a regular basis and to observe ourselves through time. Am I developing contentment with this lifestyle, with the requisites, the way of life, with the Dhamma, with the Vinaya, with the teachings? Or am I becoming more agitated, more attached <clears throat> more uh, accumulative, seeking to accumulate more things, possessions. We can look at our kutis, think, what have I got in my kuti? Am I gaining more and more possessions? Sometimes people get caught into accumulating certain kinds of possessions. So it could be books for study could be different kinds of robes and requisites to do with our robes and our what we wear could be medicines one day medicines seven day medicines lifetime medicines could end up with cupboards full of different kinds of medicines and remedies and tea and coffee and other things. Could be any kind of possessions that we are accumulating more and more and thereby perhaps becoming less content in our minds because we're seeking to depend more and more on material things. These are simple reflections we can look at on a daily basis in our own practice review sometimes it's good to chuck everything out give it all away go back to scratch just to 
teach ourselves to accumulate less, to have fewer attachments, fewer wishes. Or the traditional practice in Ajahn Chah monasteries is when you leave the monastery, you have to take everything with you. You don't leave anything to burden other people. You can reflect on it. Can you take everything you have with you when you leave? See, we often have ideals about going off Tudong, going here, going there. But if you leave a kuti full of stuff, is that really Tudong? Or is it just sort of a temporary escape and then you come back to a kuti full of possessions and requisites and the accompanying mental baggage these are reflections there's no one ideal or standard right or wrong but they're reflections for us to use skillfully to help our minds calm down more easily to develop more patience and endurance being easy to look after not always expecting to get what we want and so on <coughs> harmlessness another reflection for bhikkhus yeah, how harmless are we it's sort of direct harmlessness where we're just learning to be mindful and restrained in our speech our behavior not to harm others through what we say, what we do. But there's indirect harmlessness where we are consciously not doing things that will burden other people, make trouble for others, be a nuisance to others. These are reflections where we look back on our behavior to see how harmless we are, how easy to look after we are as a bhikkhu with the end being that if one develops these qualities of harmlessness, contentment, fewness of wishes, the mind becomes free as well. The mind easily settles down, easily focuses on a meditation object. Also it's inspiring for the laity to see monks living like that, embodying these qualities of virtues of the Sangha and becoming a field of merit. Learning to develop mindfulness, wisdom in the way we do things, to use these qualities to bring them up where they maybe were not present before, where before there was unmindful behavior or ignorance, to bring up mindfulness and wisdom and understanding. These are simple reflections, but essential for one practicing this life, to be looking into these things. And one similarly the Buddha gave for how a monk becomes field of merits, compared the monk literally to a field, to a paddy field like in northeast India where the Buddha lived, where they grow rice, said to grow rice successfully, it's like for the monk to practice for the end of suffering successfully and for the merit 
made by the laity of supporting that monk to be successful, to be true merit, then the monk has to practice in certain ways. Say, before anything else, you plant rice in a field, you have to level the earth in that field, remove the high bits, fill in the low bits, even up the the level of the the earth in the field. The Buddha said this is like developing right view, samaditi. And when we come into the robes we have some right view perhaps and some incorrect views which we have to keep looking at and examining for ourselves to see where maybe we're still caught into delusions or misunderstandings about the Dhamma and what is Dhamma and Vinaya and what is not. We have to listen to Dhamma, examine it, associate with the wise. This is like levelling our paddy field, making it well prepared to receive the seeds of rice or those gifts of dana that the lay people bring us. Next thing the monk has to do is remove all the impediments to planting the rice, and particularly stones, tree roots, all those sort of things that get in the way for when you're ploughing the soil and seeding the soil. You have to remove them all. This is like removing wrong thinking, wrong attitudes. Some are developing right attitudes, right thinking. So some are sankapa, thinking that is directed towards nekama, sankapa. Thinking and attitudes directed towards letting go of sensual attachment. So letting go of the desire to just accumulate wealth and sensual experiences, seeing the impermanence of that and the limitations of that and the dukkha of that. So developing thoughts leading out of sensuality and developing thoughts leading out of anger or hatred. So it's like removing the, the stones from the mind, from the paddy field. Then one has to make a channel for the water to come into the paddy field. This is like right conduct and right livelihood. You're bringing in the water that brings life to the rice. One has to remove um, any chemical imbalance in the soil, particularly in those kind of places in Asia, they have a lot of problems with salt in the ground. They have to remove the salt. That's like abandoning unskillful speech that's inappropriate for a samana. It's like salty speech, harsh, abusive speech, rude speech, disrespectful speech, untruthful speech. They've made a channel, removed the salt, and he also needs a, an overflow channel for the excess water to let the water out 
so that it doesn't over flood the field. And that's like a channel, a way of abandoning the unwholesome. Like they compare that to right effort, samawayama. You have to have a channel to abandon the unwholesome tendency from your mind. Greed, anger, delusion that comes up. You have to have a gentle slope in your paddy field <coughs> so the water will gradually move down the furrows, the lines of newly planted rice plants. And that slope, that incline, is compared with samasati, right mindfulness, that inclines the mind to be mindful of dhamma, to be mindful of the body, feelings, the mind itself, and then dhammas, mind objects. This is like the slope of the field that gently sends the water down to the right place where it's needed. If there's no mindfulness, then the mind is mindful or focused on things that are not dhamma, going out to the world again, increasing desire and attachment. Finally, the field needs to have a boundary around it, the dike, the, the wall of earth, just to hold all the water in. It's compared to samadhi, samasamadhi. Meditation is developing the state of calm, one-pointedness, using these different objects, whether it's recollection of the sangha, the breathing meditation, practice of the Brahma-viharas, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy or equanimity. All these different meditation objects are leading in the one direction to bring the mind to a state of calm where it's within a boundary of calm, like the boundary around the rice field. As long as there's a strong and properly made boundary, then the, the water is kept there and it will help to nourish the plants as they grow. If you have a boundary of samadhi, you have the composure, the stillness and restraint of samadhi, then your mind can contemplate the Dhamma freely, without hindrance, without obstacle. It's energized, it's not weak, it's strong. It's focused, just like a paddy field with its water in it, well contained. The rice will grow strong and healthily. So the Buddha compared these different parts of the paddy field to the practice of the Eightfold Path for the ending of suffering. And when a bhikkhu is following this, then those seeds of merit the dana that's offered to the monk bear forth great fruit. And for the monk it's the liberating insight that leads to the end of suffering. For the laity it's the, they say, the sweetness of the taste of the rice, meaning the happiness and the joy and the benefit they get from supporting sangha. Supporting Sangha who are practicing correctly and share their insight with teachings and lead the laity in the correct way towards Nibbana. So these are reflections 
for us to regularly bring up to see whether we're on the path and practicing the the bhikkhu life as the Buddha intended, as Ajahn Chah instructed. And it does require a regular, constant reflection, contemplation or self-examination and then constant application to the practice and particularly the development of mindfulness using a meditation object. And we can experiment here. We can find an object that suits our character. Not necessarily always the same object for each person. But all these meditation objects are taking the mind in the same direction. And they're a vehicle for helping us to abandon the five hindrances bring the mind to one-pointedness steadiness, calm, peace, stillness the state of samadhi is characterized by the continuous presence of wholesome dhammas so all the different aspects of the practice these reflections on our life as a bhikkhu the precepts and the rules we keep and the practices we do the dhamma we reflect on are all bringing up wholesome dhammas (coughs) and then the mindfulness directed to the meditation object these all bring the mind to a state where there are there's a continuous presence of wholesome dhammas kusala dhammas which is what we call a state of samadhi where the mind can function at its best, its most clearest, creative aspect of the mind is able to function, the wisdom can function properly. So the Buddha said this state of samadhi is the foundation out of which wisdom arises. It's not to say we're not developing wisdom before samadhi arises, but as the mind becomes still, then wisdom solidifies and becomes deeper and clearer. What was perhaps before just conceptual analysis, thinking about Dhamma, reflecting on it, learning it, hearing it, with the presence of a (coughs) state of mind of samadhi, then it becomes clear seeing, clear knowing of the Dhamma without a lot of thinking. So when the mind becomes still temporarily, we call it Kanika Samadhi, that momentary unification of the mind, maybe even just for a minute or two, where the hindrances subside and factors of Samadhi come up, the mind is focused on its object, We get some rapture and joy and the happiness of peaceful mind free from agitation and disturbance and the one-pointedness, ekakata. With that there's already letting go, there's already wisdom working in the mind and we experience letting go of the hindrances if only temporarily putting them down. 
if the practice develops and those states last longer then maybe for many minutes or half an hour or longer might experience upajara samadhi where the mind seems to unify for a much longer period of time or the deepest state apana samadhi where maybe for many hours it can just stay still within itself But the aim of the practice is not just to develop these states of stillness, but to use them as a foundation for one's reflection, contemplation, using the equanimity that comes with one-pointedness, where the mind is not shaken, disturbed by its usual emotional states, and the negative emotions and all the mental proliferation agitation it's normally caught into. So the experience of equanimity is that unshakable peace of mind, meaning that the mind has its boundary of samadhi. So whether unpleasant or pleasant experiences are coming up, the mind is not shaken by them, it's not attached to them, is able to contemplate them as just that much. A pleasant experience, an unpleasant experience. This is the role of samadhi, is to bring the equanimity and the composure to allow wisdom to function at its best, to contemplate, to see the deeper nature of our experience as an icha dukkha anatta. Until we have some one-pointedness, then this tendency to be shaken or disturbed by our experiences keeps returning, keeps coming up to bother us. We grasp at the pleasant experiences and think about them and attach to them. We grasp at the unpleasant experiences and think about them and attach to them. We attach to our internal emotions and perceptions with a sense of self and we proliferate around them. We attach to the external experiences of our senses, pleasant, unpleasant, and we form self around that pleasant, unpleasant, it becomes a basis for mental agitation and proliferation. But when we have the boundary of samadhi, even if only for a few minutes, then it's like that normal process is put on hold and the mind steps back to a more detached state of just knowing experience and that frees us for contemplation where mindfulness can just know experience as it is without adding on further, without creating anything further out of it. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we can just know it as it is, without judging it, becoming idealistic and happy and elated, or sad and depressed, but just knowing each mental phenomena or physical phenomena as it is. (coughs) So Ajahn Chah said, when we experience this state of one-pointedness, we're turning the mind particularly to contemplate the body and this physical body because that's what's our most coarsest and obvious attachment taking this body as a self the mind has inhabited the body since birth and that just delusion of self in the body the body in the self 
the body as a self, being a me, mine, a being, a person, is just so ingrained that we really need to investigate this. It's not that we don't investigate the mind, but we need to turn to investigate the body as well. This is why when we ordain, we're given the contemplations, Kesalo Manakadantatacho. You ordain as a novice, even a novice is given these reflections on the 32 parts of the body, beginning with the five externals, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin. It's to really focus, learn to focus the mind on the parts of this body and ask the question, is this really me, mine? Is this permanent? Is this happiness? Is this self? Is it impermanent? Is it dukkha? Is it not self? To work through the 32 parts of the body, getting to know them with your state of equanimity, just developing equanimous knowing of this body as it is, seeing its true nature as an each dukkha anatta. And this is something that we can think about for short periods of time when the mind's in a normal state, but when we're peaceful we can turn to really contemplate deeply. From this sometimes we get visual images, different limiters arise, as if the mind is looking at its own body from different angles, with a sense of detached knowing and sense of not owning the body, but just knowing it as something that exists but is not really me or mine. So we get different nimitas, visual nimitas, other nimitas arise, sometimes see the body in various states of decay or just see different aspects of the body, see the body as a corpse. Many, many variations on this, but these are nimitas arising out of samadhi where wisdom is functioning purely, unhindered, and often it can seem to be very automatic. It's happening by itself. One is just observing, just knowing. This is insight. The true nature of insight is not something that one is thinking up, creating. In the beginning of our practice it maybe is like that. We have to train our mind just in the conceptual uh, side of the Dhamma, thinking about Dhamma, learning it, comparing this with that. But when the mind's peaceful, it comes up just by itself. And often in unpredictable ways, sometimes in ways you can't even describe in words. But the overall result is that the mind is looking back at the body with a sense of detached knowing, seeing it as an icha dukkha anatta. And any nimitta or experience that arises is a reflection of that and brings with it a great sense of stillness and peace, even more equanimity than just samadhi. This is the equanimity of insight. This kind of equanimity leads to a turning away from the previously held attachment. It breaks through the ignorance, the delusion that feeds such attachments. Because it's knowing, it's jnana, jnana dasana, clear knowing, clear knowledge and vision of the way things are. And this is the rice plant that has grown up from that seed that was well looked after in the paddy field. You know, right, 
insight into the nature of the way things are. The mind seeing for itself that this body is not self. It's not me, not mine. It's not permanent. It's just something that arises from a cause and passes away, subject to arising, subject to cessation. It's a condition of nature. And with that, there's this turning away from the formerly held habits of desiring and attachment and all the mental disturbance of pleasure-seeking and trying to get away from painful, unpleasant things, trying to grasp it and hold on to pleasant things. The mind turns away from that towards equanimity, becomes bored with pleasure-seeking and running away from dissatisfaction and unpleasant things, prefers to just quietly know things as the way they are. This is the maturing of insight, where the mind becomes tired of craving and attachment, tired of the ignorance which lies behind it, and actually inclines towards developing mindfulness and insight more than anything else. The practice becomes more important than anything else. The practice becomes a priority for the mind. Everything else takes second place or seems a little bit less important or a lot less important. And the Dhamma that the mind sees and understands becomes very clear. This is the purpose of the practice is to develop this kind of insight. We have to see how all the aspects of the path fit together to support it. The, all the preparation, the right view, the right attitude, the training in virtues and right effort and right mindfulness, it all comes together to support the arising of insight. If the farmer was to miss out one step, didn't prepare right, didn't get the water right, didn't get the channels right and so on, then of course the end result would not be the same, would not get the same successful rice plants. The bhikkhu would not become the field of merit for the laity. So our task then is to keep going back to preparing the rice field, doing the work, cultivating the plants in the correct way with all the different component factors. And then the, we can trust that nature will take its own course and the rice plants will grow by themselves. You know, the Buddha and all our teachers, Ajahn Chah and so on, have proven that if you do follow this way of practice, it will lead to the end of suffering. It will lead to the peace of enlightenment. So we can trust that, trust in their wisdom, in their guidance. We don't have to keep grasping at the results of the practice, wanting the peaceful mind, wanting to be successful in the practice, wanting to gain samadhi, wanting to gain insight. <coughs> we just keep going back to the healthy preparation and doing the correct practice from the beginning and the results will come by themselves. And that's just nature. It will take care of itself.
So I'll leave you with these words of uh, encouragement in your practice tonight. <laughs>